depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same, but we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, Sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Katie Dahl. This week, we have a slightly less sunny topic for you. In light of everything that's been happening in our world lately, I've been recording episodes for this podcast kind of in a vacuum since the beginning of March uh, because as I'm speaking to you today, <laughs> uh, I have not actually launched the podcast yet. I had all my ducks in a row ready to actually launch this thing basically at the end of May. Um, but then I saw that I needed to wait. I needed to pause, to listen, to reflect, and to educate myself on all of the issues regarding racism in this country. And I'm sure perhaps you might be a little confused because you thought you were turning into a mental health podcast. You did. You aren't on the wrong channel. <laughs> uh, but in my opinion, racism is a mental health issue. It affects the day-to-day -day lives and mental well-being of Black people to be treated differently in our country. And they are often not able to gain access to good health care, let alone good mental health care, due to the color of their skin. So this is something that I can't ignore. And, you know, if you think I'm being too political, then I guess feel free to skip this episode and turn on a different one. But I can't guarantee that I'm going to keep my personal politics out of this podcast. So uh, with that in mind, I just want to say Black Lives Matter and rest in peace, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Rest in peace, all of the other many, many people who have been killed by the police in our country. With all of the protests and the riots and now a relative state of calm, I decided that in addition to all the things I've already been doing, which is protesting, donating, I've been amplifying Black voices on social media, I decided that I really need to know the mental health impact uh, that all of this has for Black people in America. So You'll hear that today in today's interview. I'm not going to pretend that this one interview represents what all Black people think about racism, but it is a step forward. It is a person's view on everything that is going on. And I think that Eric Owusu, the comedy writer that I'm going to interview on today's episode, has such a positive outlook on life and explains these issues in such a beautiful way. So I think that all of you are, if you're open to it, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, and I just wanted to say also, uh, trigger warning in case you weren't already aware, <laughs> I think that this episode warrants the trigger warning of literally everything, but more specifically, we discuss racism, sexual assault, anti-Semitism, uh, police brutality, and Trump. I think that Trump just kind of needs a trigger warning all on his own, no matter what he does lately. So there's that. <laughs> and uh, you should know this by now, but I am not a doctor. Uh, I'm an actress and a filmmaker, and I decided to 
create a podcast about mental health because I'm passionate about it. I like to help people. So this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. And I, you know, if you have a real problem, please check out the mental health resources on our website, cryingbehindpod.com or call 911 or call a medical professional. Uh, please turn off this podcast if you're actually having a problem. Anyway, uh, Without further ado, I guess we should get to the episode, right? I shouldn't keep rambling on, but I just want to let you know that this podcast is purely to make you feel less alone. We have a private Facebook support group, uh, which is at facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pod. And everything that we speak about in the episode today will be in an episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com. And I'm also going to add in a lot of mental health resources that are specific for the Black community. So that would be something that would be great for anybody to check out. So uh, yeah, that's all for now. And uh, please enjoy my conversation with Eric. Today, I am really happy to have here with me Eric Owusu. He is an LA comic, a TV writer, he was a producer on a show you can watch right now called Blocked on Revolt TV. It's a dating show. And he also is a Disney Channel writer, among many other things. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hey, I'm well. How are you, Katie? Uh, I'm happy to talk to you today. It's exciting. I, we were talking before we started recording about, like, I'm amazed that there is a comedian in L.A. willing to meet up with me before 12 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, we're not all vampires. <laughs> yeah, only sometimes. Mm -hmm. Only sometimes. Um, by the way, if you guys hear any noises, I think both of us are sipping on coffee and water and stuff like that. So if you hear any clinking or clanking, don't worry. There's not any monsters going bump in the night. So, Eric, how are you feeling with everything that's going on as we are recording this, uh, I guess, George Floyd's funeral was this week. Uh, there's been, what, two weeks of protests now. How how are you feeling? I thank you for asking. Appreciate you. Thanks for checking in. Um, <laughs> I, I feel a, a myriad of different ways. Um, of course, I'm like sad and angered by, you know, yet another case of police brutality against a black body that the thought always is it could have been me, it could have been my brother or my sister or someone that looks like me. Uh, so that's sad and angering, but also familiar, which is also kind of angering. Like this is, is far from like the first time. But I also feel really touched and moved by the amount of support and outcry and things actually happening because of protests and movements and stuff. Like, I think last week it was reported that people in all 50 states and like 18 countries around the world were chanting Black Lives Matter and peacefully protesting and demonstrating against police brutality you know, in the name of uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the countless other folks. So that was good. Um, and we still have Corona <laughs> as, as an act of killing people. So like, that's also a stressor because everything's in flux. You know, no one's no one's really thriving right now except for billionaires somehow. So that's I'm not a billionaire, so you know, it, it kind of sucks that we're not able to do. Wait, thing. I 
Why, why are you not a billionaire yet? You Let's know, fix I wanna, that. I want to attribute it to white supremacy, but also uh, <laughs> my last name's not Rockefeller or Coke, so that, that also helps me not be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, no, that is true. I think that... Um, thank you for sharing your feelings. Uh, and it's, it's such a crazy time, because like you said, it's not just the fact that... Um, the country is waking up to police brutality and systemic racism and finally doing something about it, which is incredible. Like, okay, where you been all this time? Uh, but also COVID is still a thing. It's still very much a thing. Yeah, There are thousands of new cases every day and people went out on Memorial Day weekend and were licking poles and grinding on each other. <laughs> and now we got more sick people. So, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. But I, I think to me, and I'm curious, this is a theory that I have. So you tell me if this is right, because mm -hmm. this is a mental health podcast. And I did want to focus on kind of the mental health aspect of it, of not only how do we all handle this moment and take care of ourselves while we are waking up to all these racial issues, but also like there have been black people that have been killed by the police for centuries, right? Like how, why now? right? Why him? And I was thinking about it and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like because most of the country was in isolation, we've all been on kind of a timeout and we've had so much time to really sit with ourselves and maybe be more empathetic towards others. Maybe uh, just have a little bit more compassion for other people, regardless of what they look like. So uh, that plus the fact that a lot of people are unemployed, they've got enough time to go out and protest mm -hmm. now. I feel like it was the perfect storm somehow where people were finally called to action. What do you think? Well, I agree with those. Yeah, people had the time and the ability to go out and protest in droves for this moment uh, because of COVID. So that definitely helped the numbers be as massive as they have been. Um, but also, the murder of George Floyd was done at the hands of the state, like police officers who get paid with people's taxes killed this person. And it's yet another example of the government failing its citizens. Uh, so yes. that combined with people's frustrations at the government, at the handling or you know, the mishandling of like COVID response and the inconsistencies of who's closed, who's an essential worker, when are we opening up the country again? we shouldn't open up the country again. Like all these things kind of conflated together. So people are in their house, they're mad, they see police officers kill this person when we're all supposed to be home or even wearing masks and not spreading COVID. So it's, it's just kind of a massive uprising of, you know, F the police, F the government. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast or not. Um, you absolutely can. This is not a Disney Channel podcast. This is R-rated. <laughs> I mean, I, I hesitate to say X-rated because this isn't a porn podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't get but, that. But if you want to talk about sex, you totally can. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So yeah, everyone was like, but the government. Uh, like, this is, no. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I, th I think that's true as well. It's like, okay, our government has failed us in every single way. They're not keeping us safe from disease. Mm -hmm. They are not helping the economy. <laughs> and on top of that, they are actively killing black people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that it is, it has created the perfect storm where people are mad. And I think 
a lot of people, especially women, are afraid of the emotion of anger. Like we're afraid to get angry because it's not ladylike. Like, oh, you just have to learn how to let things roll off your back. You got to write in your journal, meditate about it, you know, go do a yoga class, go punch a pillow. <laughs> but it's like, no, sometimes being angry is good because when people get mad, they take action. They solve things. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Anger is I, a, I'm just, yeah, it's a necessary and it's a natural human response. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I guess for me, the way that I've been socialized and brought up, it was kind of that a lot of emotions were not okay, whether it was anger or sadness. Everyone's just trying to maintain a neutral yeah. in my household. Like everyone's pretending everything's okay at all times. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Keeping the peace. <laughs> What about you? Like, how did you grow up? Did How was it in your house as far as being able to express your emotions? We could within, I guess, quote unquote reason. So like, you know, of course we cried and threw hissy fits and then our parents promptly or not promptly, like, you know, told us to be quiet or, you know, corporal punishment, you know, trying to keep us in line. Um, but I always felt like I could kind of at least talk to my older sister. I have an older sister, uh, Renee, who's nine years older. So she was kind of like a second mom to me. Uh, so if I was upset or angry or sad, I could like, talk to her about it. And, and my mom, to her credit, was good about listening to me be sad about something or upset, uh, which was super helpful. So we were able to like kind of vocalize our emotions that way. Oddly enough, we weren't a I love you family growing up. Uh, we didn't like we knew our parents loved us because you know took care of us or whatever, but we didn't ever really say it. So like I went off to college and kind of got hippieized or whatever, and I I came back home and hey you know just just say so you know I love you, and they were just like uh, what? <laughs> so it, it took a while for us. Uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So it took a while for us, but now we all we say, it. and then we had some, you know family members pass, so that kind of made the finite nature of life more real for us so now like at the end of phone calls and whenever we see each other we're more comfortable saying i love you and i love you too that's really sweet mm -hmm. yeah i've i found a very similar thing in my family i think when there are tragedies or people passing away or even if, if someone's going in for a big surgery mm. you know it kind of brings everyone together and reminds us how delicate life is and how Someone could be here one day and they're gone the next. And it's so important to tell your loved ones that you do love them. And uh, But everyone has different love languages. And it sounds like in your house, the love language was not about saying it. Mm -hmm. It was just about doing it. Like, what was a way that your parents might have shown love to you as a kid if they weren't saying it? Was there something they did that showed that to you? Yeah. Um... I I was I mean I still am a big sugar fiend so like my dad would bring home like candy and stuff whenever he was in the store and thought of us he knew I liked chocolate so he would bring chocolate home you know every once in a while they would buy us a toy that you know we wanted or they knew we wanted and then they would surprise us with it uh, you know outside of birthdays and Christmas so it was like oh my god they mm -hmm. do love us <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah they took us to Disney when we were little uh, Disney where did you grow up Maryland. In Maryland. Okay, so uh, 
Because I saw when I was doing my little um, internet sleuthing before our interview, which I like to do, uh, <laughs> that you went to college in D.C. So Maryland is basically D.C. It's all the same, right? Yeah, it's the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So when you went to college, did you live at the dorms or did you stay home? It was half and half. So my freshman okay. sophomore year, I was on the, in the dorms and then junior, senior year, I couldn't get any student housing and didn't really want to get an apartment with like strange 20 year olds. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I moved in for free back home. But also like the house I, house I grew up in was like 15 minutes from campus. So it where did you go? What? What was your major and where, where did you go? I went to the University of Maryland College Park um, and I was a studio art major, English minor. Studio art? Yeah. Wait, this is fun. I thought you just did writing and comedy stuff. You can draw. I can draw, I paint. Um, there's artwork of mine in my room. Oh no, you know what? I did know that. I forgot it. I think it was a few years ago. I remember seeing some random like Insta story of you painting. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I just that 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 just flashed back in my memory, and now now I know. Yeah. Do you, do you still paint and draw? Yeah, I do. And uh, <laughs> so this is this kind of ties in with all the uh, George Floyd stuff happening. One of my white homegirls, Lauren, she's a fantastic ally and a beautiful human being. She posted a picture of me. So for a friend's birthday, I painted that that friend a painting, like a custom painting. And so Lauren, my white homegirl, posted a picture of that and was like, hey, if you want to be a good ally to your black friends, know what they like to do and just send them some Venmo money to do it. Like, for example, Eric paints. So I just sent him money for paint supplies. So you guys do the same. So people kind of been Venmoing me money to go get art supplies so I can like paint and you know do this cathartic cathartic thing through all this upheaval. I love that. Yeah. That is that is so creative and so cool. Um I'm obsessed with that idea. I'm gonna steal it. Do it. <laughs> uh yeah, because I heard and I'm not naming names, but just a different black friend of mine mm a white girl Venmoed him a hundred dollars as an apology to him. Just like, Hey, I'm sorry. You're black. I'm sorry. I'm white. Here's a hundred dollars. And it's just like, Ooh, like that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right. That, that method of delivery could have just sent, sent the hundred and been like, Hey, go flourish. <laughs> but like that. Right. Right. But it was like in this negative, like sad, like, yeah. I don't know. And he was so uncomfortable with it that he was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, honey. I'm going to keep $5 of this for myself to buy a coffee. And then I'm going to refund you $95. Please donate to the NAACP mm. or the ACLU. I can't take your money. Yeah. And now, did she tell you why her terminology made him uncomfortable? Because I feel like that's an important discussion to have. That's true. Okay. Well, if we're being honest, mm. um, my friend is his girlfriend. So I heard this from his girlfriend. I have not had a chance to question him about it. I will. Yeah. That's my next step. Okay. Uh, but I don't want to name any names. It was mostly just the idea of like white people Venmoing black people in the middle of this time. And I feel like there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. And yeah. that is good to know. Yeah. Because you know what it is, is that like you said, or like she was saying, like, okay, what does your black friend like to do? 
give them money to go do the, that thing. And that's so positive and beautiful instead of this other thing like, hey, I'm so sorry you're black. <laughs> right. I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> like, and that's, because instead it should be like, black is beautiful. Congratulations, you're black. Look what a beautiful culture you have, right? right? Yeah, and if they're friends, I mean, I, yeah, if they're friends, it's like, hopefully they're friends and the white friend knows what the black friend likes or is into and can be like, here's money to go do that instead of just, Sorry, I'm white and you're black and things suck. Like that's just <laughs> an awful way to go about that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. I think that's a good thing for our listeners to hear because um, on both sides it can be really overwhelming. Um, I mean, the the amount of uncomfortable feelings or overwhelming feelings that a white person is having are not even a fraction of how black people feel. So that's not really what I'm saying, but it's nice to know like, okay, how can I be a good ally, right? Yeah. And I think focusing on positive and actually focusing on like what makes this person a real person and not just calling them and being like, well, please tell me how, like, you know, talk to me on behalf of all black people or like, something like that because that's too much burden to put on someone and it's on us to do our research right yeah absolutely yeah and you know for too long people allies that do want to help out have relied on black people to kind of explain it and hold white folks hands to be like this is how you don't hate me because of this color of my skin and this is you know but yeah you know there is google uh, it's available to everybody google's not racist that I, I don't think uh, so everyone can go on there and search on how to be a good ally. <laughs> Google is not racist. So we just Google how to not be racist. Exactly. It's right there next to the recipes on Martha Stewart's website. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, actually, one of my favorite friendships in the world is Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. And she was doing that a long time ago. So, you know, yeah, maybe she, they're, yeah, they're, the, uh, they're the, the, the benchmark, the poster childs for... Uh, <laughs> racial harmony <laughs> yeah it only took martha stewart going to jail for her to really uh you know want to be friends with him so right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well i think it was interesting how you brought up the idea of us being in a white supremacist society and that you know of course if the society is built that way like white people are going to feel attacked because this is what they're used to, right? Right, yeah, and it's very important for, like, us to realize that. Like, in this white supremacist society, it favors whiteness and it, it benefits whiteness to the point where white folk, everyone grows up in it, we've all grown up in it, but white folks don't even realize sometimes that they have privilege because it's just, I'm the neutral, I'm the benchmark as a white person. Um, but even with allies, the white supremacist society allows them to be allies. So for example, like during the time of slavery, there were white abolitionists. There were white folks who were like, slavery's wrong. I'm gonna do my part to help get as many black people out of bondage as possible. Uh, so they would like hide black folks in their basement or in their house or, or help them get safe passageway. But those white folks were only able to do that because they themselves were white. So they weren't being suspected of doing anything to contradict white supremacy or helping black bodies escape slavery. And so in using that as a benchmark or as an example, in today's day and age, it's important for you, know, you and other white allies uh, or white passing people to use your privilege and your 
kind of status in this white supremacist society to help out black and brown people and to be anti-racist and to talk to you know folks about not being racist and seeing helping people help as much as they can yeah i think we talked about this the other day but i feel like i'm guilty of being quote unquote not racist uh, but but that's not enough like i need to be anti-racist and i have not been proactive in that way yeah and it's good you know that's a good realization to have like you know a lot of people don't have the realization or they know it and they're like eh but i'm fine whatever so it's good to know that about yourself and to you know work and do better and then as a dude i have male privilege so even though i'm a black dude in this white supremacist society I'm a dude, so I have privileges and right, well, unofficial rights that women aren't afforded. Uh, so I have to use my male privilege in order to not just not be misogynist, but to be anti-misogynist. So if I'm in a party or a group or a gathering of all dudes and they start you know, saying misogynist things, fuck these bitches, blah, 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 I have to actively be like, hey, that's not cool. There's no one, there's no need for that. That's hateful, blah, blah, blah. So, using my privilege to help people not be misogynist helps in a little bit of a way. And if we all did that, hopefully that would eradicate misogyny the same way allies, being allies around other white folks, hopefully would help dismantle white supremacy and racism. Yeah, that makes sense. And so if you're being an ally against misogyny uh, and some you're in a group full of men or dudes and someone says, fuck these bitches. <laughs> what, what is your response that is going to like, I mean, what, what would you say? So I try to do it or at least start with humor. So I'd be like, hey, relax. You kiss your mother with that mouth? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and just, and, you know, and if someone's like, oh, why are you challenging me? Like, all I said was fuck these bitches. Then I go into it. But even the initial call out helps people to be like, oh, damn, that is a not nice thing to say. I'll, I'll chill. So then, That's yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm similar because I also am very into comedy and uh, that's usually my first instinct is like, I don't immediately run out on the attack uh, because I find that sometimes if you come at people with uh, immediately telling them why they're wrong or being angry that they're going to get super defensive. But like you said, if you use humor to kind of break it up, um, it's better. I, I've definitely noticed that. Uh, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I'm trying to educate myself as much as possible because, I mean, as much as I have been an ally, I know that I need to do more and I need to do better. Um, and that I'm, not perfect by any means. I mean, no one's perfect, but like you look at me, you're like, oh, I like, I live in this liberal bubble. I'm, I'm Jewish. So I also understand oppression maybe. And, uh, uh, I try to call out racism when I see it or, you know, putting black people up at the scramble we did, of course, like, of course, but it's like, I've up until, uh, pre George Floyd, I'm very ashamed to admit that I never studied anything about racism in like in more than a passing way like yeah sure I read a few articles here and there but I never picked up a book about it uh about systemic racism I just kind of thought well I know that slavery happened I know that it was bad 
and now I'm trying to be good. I don't know. Like, that's kind of where I was at. And I also like the only book I had really read that talked about racism, I guess, was Becoming by Michelle Obama, which is an incredible book that everybody should read. But most of the book is just about um, her like it's her biography. It's not specifically a study of that. So um, I'm now like reading White Fragility and trying to like, I feel like I'm doing like a crash course. Like I'm cramming for the finals or something because <laughs> I feel like I need to catch up. I'm not woke enough. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's a never, the mark of an intelligent person is not how much they know, but how willing they are to learn more and to acknowledge that they don't know everything. So it is dope that you're, you know, starting to, if you've realized you're not as, you know, woke as you can be, so you're reading these books. Um, and another good book to read uh, in your in your awakening. Um, the, the Great Awakening of 2020. Right. <laughs> the Great Awakening. Uh, another good one to read is uh, The New Jim Crow. I, I can't remember the author's name, but that's a really good uh, book about racism. And, and, and it talks about the prison industrial complex. So... Yes. Fun fact, slavery's not dead. It just changed into prison. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I did learn that a little bit because I watched um, When They See Us, mm -hmm. the movie about the Central Park Five. Yeah. Um, it, and I that was a big education for me to learn about the Central Park Five and understand this idea that... Uh, like you're saying, the slavery didn't go away. It just kind of changed into what we now call jail or prison. And then you you mentioning, you know, you you kind of, well, you do understand oppression and subjugation historically because you're Jewish and, you know, the Jews were put under uh, terrible uh, circumstances back in the 40s and, and, and so and, and forward. Um, both you and I, I guess, saw recent hateful rhetoric spewed in Charlottesville. I think that was like 2017 when the, uh -huh. the Tiki Torch dudes and, you know, they actively were like saying the Jews will not replace us. And they were essentially the Klan in, in like khakis and polos. So I feel like blacks and Jews can commiserate over <laughs> how racist the country still is. Oh, oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying because uh, I think what we, yes, the blacks and the Jews are in a unique situation where they can help each other. I actually signed a few petitions that were specifically Jews for Black Lives Matter, which I thought oh, was kind of awesome. interesting. Um, I mean, I signed every petition I could get my hands on the first few days this was happening. People were just sending them to me. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. okay, yes, fix it. Um, but I'm trying to bring this back into the mental health aspect of it. And it just caused so much anxiety because every time there was someone coming out saying anti-Semitic things or there were shootings at synagogues, he would not call that out. Um, he would not do his part to stamp that out uh, to the point where now if I go to a synagogue or a temple, it's, I mean, they've got armed guards at most of them because they have to. Uh, or... I remember, I forget if it was Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur last year when I went, uh, that the anti-Semitism just felt like such a real thing in the country, and it still does, that there was only one entrance in and out of the synagogue. All the other doors were sealed. Uh, They're very strict on the security, and they, they have to be. It's just sad that that's the case, um, you know, 
that people have to fe fear for their lives just because they're going out and um, going to their place of worship. I mean, that happens to Muslims as well. I mean, it happens to all faiths, and, uh, black churches. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't help your anxiety, and it uh, it does make you pray. <laughs> it makes you pray a little extra hard. <laughs> You're like, hey, yeah. hey, we came to the house of worship for you, higher power. So. <laughs> Keep the racist yeah. at bay. <laughs> wow, this is so bad. We're so bad. Oh, this is what happens sorry. when we get a take two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, listeners don't even know. I was going to pretend this didn't happen. Uh, so Eric is a little baby angel because uh, I am a little baby podcaster. And I had my first ever time that uh, episode did not get recorded. So basically the first 24 minutes of this episode that you listened to were from yesterday <laughs> and then the rest of our conversation from yesterday didn't record we just kept talking like two little happy kids just <laughs> just running just through a field talking <laughs> about racism <laughs> uh so eric was kind enough to come back today and pick up where we left off uh and you know we're not missing a beat if anything it's going to be even better that's actually when i prayed on it last night <laughs> as they say mm -hmm. i thought you know what everything happens for a reason even though i know the actual reason is a computer i'm gonna say that it happened for a reason and i'm gonna say that there is some other idea or conversation that we're gonna have today that's better and more meaningful than whatever we talked about yesterday so that's that's what i've decided that's that's my new reality <laughs> i love this positivity katie i need it we need it in this, this dark these dark times it honestly does happen to the best of us so something else i wanted to bring up because we this is a mental health podcast uh is i have a theory and i do think that racism is a mental health issue from a lot of different aspects not only because of the daily toll that it takes on you and everyone else who is African-American uh, just being treated differently by everyone, but also that like black people, people of color often um, for um, many different reasons don't have the same access to mental health care uh, that white people do. Yeah, um, yes, uh, in a lot of areas that are mostly black and brown uh there isn't access to mental health um and also because of economics like people work struggle jobs all the time to support themselves and their families so they might not even have the opportunity or like the time in a day to go to therapy um so there's all kinds of barriers most by design to keep black folks out of therapy um and who do we need it <laughs> yeah, yeah so, you do so so yeah race does play a, a big part in that and in, into mental health and just in going kind of macro being racist like having racist thoughts and racist attitudes and saying and doing racist things is, is it's hate it's just a negative thing that burns on a racist's psyche and and, and mind body and spirit and the people who receive racism or the targets of racism, black and brown people, were literally terrorized by it. So like we were saying about, you know, places of worship, you know, you're sitting in church, synagogue or mosque and the thoughts of, damn, I hope someone doesn't come in and shoot this up while we're in here exercising our freedom to express our religious beliefs as we want. Uh, it weighs on a person and that that terror is 
it makes someone anxiety ridden you know forever so yeah race does play a big part of it uh, especially in our society and you know there's things we can do to make it so that black and brown people have access to mental health but you know it, it takes a lot of effort it takes laws being passed it takes funding uh to be able to do this in communities of color um socioeconomic areas that don't have all the best resources or high property taxes or whatever that a lot of richer places have. So it takes a concerted effort to right these wrongs. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like the way that you're socialized because um, outside of the, the money thing, it, it, different cultures or, and this isn't even a white or black thing, this could be any race. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your parents or your family just don't have an open mind about mental health care. They'll think that, therapy is only for crazy people or uh oh there's nothing wrong with you just like you know stiff upper lip i guess if you're british i don't know <laughs> what, what, what do you say when you're american what's the way to like say like tough it up uh, chin up uh <laughs> let's just keep pretending everything's okay yeah oh being midwestern yeah 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 that's that's it being what midwestern <laughs> Oh, being Midwestern. Okay. But I grew up in LA and, uh, and I grew up in a household that was, I mean, both of my parents are LA natives and they, they're very much subscribed to, I guess they're a Southern family. I don't know. Maybe. They subscribe to that whole philosophy of like, regardless of what the emotion is that uh, we need to just keep it at the status quo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But and I think that doesn't really help anyone because. Yeah. Yeah. The status quo doesn't help anyone. And I think it is a, a problem of like pride and ego because if you admit that you might be depressed or anxious or have suicidal thoughts or you know thoughts of you know if you're not super confident or whatever it, it's admitting that you have something i don't want to say is wrong with you but the the, the 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 kind of ethos is something's wrong with me and i don't want to seem weak so there's nothing wrong with my brain but the brain is the most important organ and muscle in the body like we can get a replacement heart yes. or kidney or hip, but you lose your brain, that's it. Yeah. So we absolutely have to like take care of our brain. That's so true because they can give you a new face. I've I've seen I've, I've seen a face transplant, but they can't they can't give you a new brain <laughs> because then you then you wouldn't be you. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we need to get we need to get over this pride of like there's nothing wrong with my brain. My brain's perfect. If there's something wrong with it, you know, handle it, fix it, maintain it, go get that maintenance, go get that therapy. It's it's super important. Yeah, it's like going to the gym. It's like, how do you expect to be mentally resilient and be able to deal with day-to-day -day life if you've never really explored the way that your brain works and why you do the things you do? Like, of course, you have to go to the root of the cause. You got to go work out if you want those apps. And if you <laughs> if you want to feel peaceful and happy, you got to do that same kind of work, but inside. Uh, on that note, actually, um, before our interview, I remember you telling me that you are shopping for a therapist for the first time. And I'm just curious to know, um, one, like, what what prompted that and also two like uh how has the process been for you yeah the process is uh is going smooth now uh, a couple years ago when i was with my ex she was in therapy and you know she suggested it to me she said it was like it was really helpful for her and it might be for me so i i did try to get into therapy uh, a couple years ago 
And uh, I tried to do intake at UCLA's, I think, mental health uh, department, uh, but they just were too crowded. Um, that was the hottest ticket in town. I couldn't get one <laughs> for UCLA. <laughs> so uh, more recently, another friend was telling me about her therapist up in the valley, like near where I live, um, and suggested I do intake. And I was like, yeah, I've tried. Uh, you know, if, I, if I make it happen, sure. If not, whatever. And she was like, no, you should. Like, you know, for me, I thought, like, unless something's really wrong with me, I shouldn't go into therapy. But the what really is, is if, if you're feeling okay, that's when you should start therapy because everything's not on fire. And so you can go in, talk to a new therapist, kind of have the groundwork laid out so that if and when something does get lit on fire in your life or you do like have some mental health issues come up you already have a baseline understanding and rapport with the therapist so they can help you through it and help you get back to feeling like 100 percent you so um I'm, I'm actively looking well i'm playing phone tag right now a couple of weeks ago i did an intake interview with the therapy place up here in the valley so uh i'm trying to set up a a first kind of zoom therapy session with the therapist at this new place so yeah. i love it well, hey, I'm proud of you. I love it. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not your mom, but I feel proud. <laughs> uh, it's because you're going on this new journey and it's um, you. You're already miles ahead of most people when they start therapy because your understanding of the fact that you actually have to go in there when the house isn't on fire and just talk to them in a calm, normal way about your background like that is so much better or not, I don't know I hesitate to say better but it's a different place <laughs> than a lot of people come from the first time they go to therapy first time yeah. I went to therapy uh was when my biological dad passed away at the end of my it's my end of my freshman year of uh college and mm. you know I went to like one of the student counselors at NYU they had uh people who were in grad school for psychology or whatever and they'll give you free therapy type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was super helpful, but like, you know, my house was on fire. Something, <laughs> some shit, some shit had just hit the fan and I didn't know what to do. But at the same time, also, I was like 18. So uh, a lot of people don't go to therapy when they're kids. And yeah, unless my, something's really wrong and then they're like forced to yeah. go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, actually, I will say I didn't like go to my own therapist. My brother, um, I would go along with my brother to his therapy sessions because he went to a behavioral therapy for his autism to mm. learn um, kind of how to manage it better. So I would go along and like sit in the waiting room and then sometimes talk to his therapist. So maybe that's why I'm doing this. Maybe it's just because yeah. I always went along with him to like his speech therapy, his behavioral therapy, all these things. And then I had the therapist explaining condition to me <laughs> yeah and also uh speaking of that i watched your short film and it's fantastic and oh, it was really great so much yeah yeah absolutely. thank you yeah. i appreciate that um well i'll uh yeah i'll put that along with everything else in the episode guide on the on the website uh cryingbehindpod.com plug shameless plug uh, <laughs> but yeah uh the short film it's we'll never make it it's on amazon and uh yeah there's a character in there that is based on my brother and um john eric hoffman the actor that i cast to play him is actually also on the spectrum so that was really important to me i didn't want to just have a neurotypical person 
try to play that role. I wanted someone who really understood what it's like. Look at you with the inclusive casting. <laughs> yes, well, it's inclusive in a different way because a lot of times people think of inclusive as just like a matter of race, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. that's more visible. But with disabilities, um, that is another way to be inclusive is to say, okay, uh, I have someone who has this disability. I'm gonna try and cast someone who actually has that disability. Yeah, and like it, it's it's also helpful for inclusive casting moving forward. Your 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 movie is kind of trend setting in that you've cast someone who's actually on the spectrum. So like a lot of times Hollywood movies, they'll cast someone who isn't actually in a wheelchair or isn't actually on the spectrum or doesn't actually have a missing limb because it's like, well, if we get someone in that role, well, who, there's no actors that can do that. And there are actors that can do that, but they just either don't look for them or they don't hire them. And so like, how are people supposed to get a chance if these people don't hire them? So, you know, kudos to you on that. Yeah, I think that being inclusive is really important and I'm glad that I could achieve that. It was not easy. We actually, because they say, people are like, oh, we couldn't find them. Well, you didn't try hard enough. You have to try harder. And that's the same thing, I think, with racism in America or uh, the way that Black people are treated in Hollywood or in these spaces. It's like, oh, we couldn't find any Black writers. It's like, no, you didn't look hard enough. There are so many that have not yet been given an opportunity. You got to try harder. Uh, I think when we were looking for that uh, actor, I reached out to a lot of different local organizations and theaters um, that had people with disabilities to say, hey, here's an audition notice. We posted on Craigslist. Like, I normally do not post auditions on Craigslist. I just post them on Actors Access. But this one, I was like, no, I'm, I put it on Facebook. I put it on Craigslist. I put it on message boards. I was like, I am spreading a very wide net because I know this is a very specific thing I am looking for. And it might not be easy to find an, someone who is talented, looks like they could be my brother and is on the spectrum, but we're gonna find him. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. And I've met so many amazing people throughout that process too. I actually found, um, there's a film festival called the Real Abilities mm. Film Festival. And I ended up going to that. And that whole festival is dedicated to films either created by or about uh, people with disabilities. And yeah. it's, fucking great That's so awesome. yeah. uh anyway but yeah with the race thing we're gonna get back to this because i don't want to make this whole thing about me um trying to get this train back on the track of the anti-racism track <laughs> <laughs> uh so that's you know i mean listen i'm sure people find me very interesting but that's not what this is about today gotcha. <laughs> uh so uh with black lives matter and everything that's going on in our country right now, do you think that things are finally starting to change? Do you have any sort of faith that uh, police brutality or systemic racism that we're starting to chip away at it finally? I think so. Uh, I think there are definitely things happening that are positive and right steps in right directions. Like I heard that Minneapolis's police department was is starting to be disbanded like entirely and they're defunding their police department and reallocating those funds to community outreach and economic things in the communities and stuff like that so money in schools and all these things uh so that is positive steps in the right direction huge sweeping steps i mean this country's been a country for 
250, 70 plus years. So it's going to take time to break down systems that built it and are in the fabrics of it, namely white supremacy. So do I think racism is going to be done in 2021? Probably not. <laughs> but we're getting right. ever closer and closer to dismantling the systems of white supremacy in the country. And I think this George Floyd uh, moment has been a big catalyst for some some hopefully good big changes. I mean, it got Roger Goodell to say, hey, we were wrong. We should have let NFL players protest how they saw fit, which is huge. Like that That's is, pretty big. Yeah, that is a step in the right direction. It's interesting because I find that each black person I talk to has a different marker for what <laughs> they like think is like, oh, things are happening. And the NFL <laughs> is, I feel like a big one. Also speaking of symbols, I heard that NASCAR is banning the Confederate flag from all merchandise and all cars and stuff. And, and some white drivers, at least one white driver has like resigned and was like, well, that's my heritage. So if NASCAR doesn't like it, I'm out. And, and he didn't win any races. So people are shitting on him, rightfully so. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's huge too. And like statues and, 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 and military bases named after Confederate generals and soldiers are being renamed. People took the head off of a Columbus statue, I think in New York or something. So yeah, these are these are important things to have to have happen. Um, yeah, because symbols mean something. Yeah, and those symbols are the things that do take a toll on your mental health on a day to day basis as a black person. You walk by that Confederate statue, if that happens to be the way you walk to work, you look at that every day and you think, well, they people say they're not racist anymore, but then why is this still here? It's you know, or, or I, I can imagine that it's. People are like, oh, it's 2020. We're not racist anymore. That's over. That's an old thing. It's like, well, actually, it's still a thing. And it's a thing because you thought it was over. You need to actually be active in this, right? Yeah. There's that old Southern saying, uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So racism is very similar. Like, if people deny it and they're like, oh, nothing, racism doesn't exist. Uh, and then they, they see a news report of a person, a black person killed by the police, and they're like, oh, it was just a bad apple that took it too far. Like, these perpetuate racism. They help reinforce white supremacy. So we got to It does. That. You know, actually, okay, I have a very weird question, so feel free to not answer it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm still getting comfortable talking about race with people, so I'm always worried how I'm going to come off. I feel like I'm just tiptoeing on eggshells. So uh, if someone says to you, I don't see race or like, I, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel like they're ignorant uh, <laughs> because saying, oh, I don't see color. I don't see race. That like invalidates my experience, my culture, my identity i you know it's saying i don't see like when a white person says i don't see race or i don't see color it's inherently false because uh, you do you're not colorblind <laughs> and even if you just see <laughs> black and white you still see hue and you there is a noticeable difference between us but you know in the way that i would explain it to maybe a five-year-old it's like we're a bag of m&ms we're all m&ms but there's different colors and we're all equal yes now 
the person eating the M&Ms, if they've decided for whatever reason, fuck these blue M&Ms, I'm going to throw them in the trash. (laughs) 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 They they actively are hating on the blue M&Ms. And then when the green and red and yellow ones are like, well, I guess the blue ones suck and that's why we're still here and the blue ones got thrown out, like they're not seeing that there's a difference in the way we are treated. So... I mean, that's beautiful. That should... You should write a children's book <laughs> about this because I feel like that's such a beautiful way to explain it to a child, right? With the M and M's. I don't know. I, actually, I, I have, I have um, visceral memories about M and M's because M and M's were the candy that we would use as a positive reward for my brother mm, <laughs> to reward his like, quote unquote, good behaviors uh, when he was. Because uh, he didn't talk until he was like four, and he yeah. was uh, a little bit of a nightmare, and threw a lot of tantrums, and broke a lot of VCRs. Not the VCRs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a kid, uh, he's he's a he's an angel now. He's not violent at all. I think it's just probably the frustration of not being able to communicate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I rem- I just remember M and M's being like, oh, like we never wanted to tell him he was bad mm-hmm. for breaking all the VCRs and stuff. But if he would like do a good thing. We would give evidence. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then he ended up with a lot of cavities. So uh. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you can't you can't win. Yeah. <laughs> he traded the VCR fund for cavity fillings fund. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, so I guess uh, what else? What else did I want to talk about here? What else would you like to t- like speak on in regards to? I know this is a big topic, so I'm not trying to ask you to talk about talk for all black people, but just specifically your own mental health and perhaps how this being black in America, like how that might affect you on a day to day basis. Because I can't pretend to know what it's like that every time I go out to drive, I'm worried about getting pulled over or every time I walk into a store, you know, that, that I would be followed. That's not an experience that I will ever know. I can't pretend to know that. And has it taken like a toll on you? You seem like a very happy-go-lucky person. It seems like you're Teflon, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh yeah, no, I cry whenever I'm alone. That's how I stay so happy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm playing. Um, my mental health. So knowing that there is racism and that the police are brutalizing people who are unarmed or who, you know, don't comply, whatever, whatever. It does weigh on me, like, whenever I'm out. So, okay, here's an example. Uh, When I was still living in New York and I visited L.A. before moving here, uh, I came out here for a week to take meetings and to just kind of see the lay of the land, get reused to driving again. I had a rental car. And I had my, like, list of spots that I wanted to visit. Um, So I went to visit... The, the valley where I knew I'd be staying. I visited Hollywood to take meetings. Uh, I went to different beaches in California and around LA. Uh, I went to Watts and Inglewood and Compton to go see like where the black folks were and all these things. Uh, but I didn't want to go to Beverly Hills. And I didn't want to go to Beverly Hills because I assumed, and you know, from reading things and different people's accounts or whatever, that I would be seen as out of place in Beverly Hills uh, as a Black dude, tall black dude, like, and and I'd be looking at my phone a lot. I'd be wandering around. So I didn't want to even put myself in a position of 
like being in a place where I might be asked, hey, what's your business here? Who are you? So I didn't go to Beverly Hills. So even though I probably would have been fine and like in living here. Specifically, was there like a job in Beverly Hills or a reason that you wanted to go there? Oh, no, just to visit. Like, you know, because I visited a bunch of other places in L.A. Just to kind of. Oh, to like, because you were were getting a lay of the land and you're like, oh, maybe I'll go see Rodeo Drive like all the other tourists do. But you didn't. But you didn't feel comfortable to do that because of the color of your skin. Exactly. And how how awful that you are deprived of that experience. Not that Rodeo Drive is some sort of spiritual experience, but like <laughs> it's fun and you should be allowed to go. Yeah. It sucks that you don't feel welcome there. And I understand that on a, a smaller level because I think that as a woman of pretty much any race, there's an unwritten rule that you're not supposed to walk to your car alone at night, right? You're not supposed to uh, go to certain areas alone, maybe. Because uh, even if you're in your car, sometimes there will be men that will follow you. And uh, it is limiting. It is scary. And I guess that's my only thing that I can relate to on that level. Not only, but it's the only thing that pops into my head. Uh, when the world was still open and I was still doing comedy shows, even if I was only walking two blocks in Hollywood, I would find someone to walk me to my car because I had heard so many stories of the one time you don't have a man walk you to your car, that's when you're going to get, I mean, trigger warning, sorry, but it's when some, you know, you're going to get assaulted or something's going to happen to you. And that's something that's taught, at least was taught to me from a very young age. Like, don't trust men. Men are bad, men are scary, they're out to get you. And yeah. uh, guilty until proven otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it, is, so, it is harrowing. And it's like, and then even with that example, like make sure you get a man to walk you to your car. It's like, sometimes that man walking you to your car could be the one. So like. It, exactly, yeah. You, that, yeah. Yeah, no, sometimes that man might also be out to get you. So then, so then what? Yeah, <laughs> right, and just hire I don't know. <laughs> I mean, after Trump was elected, actually, I got one of those things that looks like a cat, uh, but it's actually a brass knuckle that goes on your key ring. I bought one of those right after he was elected because I could tell that the climate uh, for women was going to not be so great with someone in office who said, grab him by the pussy. Uh, So I turned out to be correct on that account. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I wish that... uh, that had been the only thing I had been correct about because it's only gotten worse from there. Uh, but anyway, I don't mean to make this into a total political podcast, but it's just, you can't separate politics from our real lives. It affects it affects our real lives. Yeah, and and so in that vein, how, you know, Trump said grand by the pussy and he got elected, um, you know, in office, Trump, said to like a, a, a audience of police officers he's like when you're detaining people don't be too nice like don't hold the back of their head when you're putting them in the car like bang their head and like basically he's telling cops be brutal fuck it like and so that was super scary to you know everybody but especially black people who were disproportionately killed by the police so like you know the president the commander-in-chief saying grab him by the pussy or be rough with people you apprehend is like super scary and triggering. So that only adds more to the collective anxiety of the country. Absolutely. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I've actually, even pre 
George Floyd and everything, throughout most of this presidency, I try to avoid watching any videos of Trump as much as possible. Like I'll I'll look at the article, I'll see the picture, but I don't click on the video because even just listening to him talk, and it sounds like a snowflake comment, whatever, it's triggering for me. Uh, and now it's like on a completely different level. And I have to, a lot of times, just put my snowflakeness aside and actually listen to what he's saying because it's dangerous. And I need to know what he's saying so that I can protect myself and my friends accordingly. Yeah, and just, and be aware, like it's important. It, it is, and he's such a train wreck in that it's an awful, awful thing to look at, but you can't look away. He's so ingratiating and so like, ugh, but I have to keep looking at it that that's how he keeps attention. That's, uh, it's, it's so awful. Yeah, no, it's terrible. But uh, you know what's not terrible? What? Talking, talking to you. Aww. <laughs> you've, you've been so fun today and yesterday. I, you know what? Maybe we'll just make this a regular thing. I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to Zoom you. And we're just going to talk about racism until the two of us figure it out. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say shake on it, but you're you're in another room. Thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I'm just wondering if you can let our audience know um, where to find you on the internet. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram, eric.kay.owusu, O-W-U-S-U. Uh, Twitter, at Owusu Kid. And Facebook also, slash Owusu Kid. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel where I have some stand-up stuff. Oh, um... Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, I some friends and I sold a dating game show to Revolt TV, uh, which is Diddy's production company. It's called Blocked. So that's on their website, revolt.tv slash blocked. You can go watch me say cringy pickup lines <laughs> and other folks you know, be silly uh, with, uh, uh, with some humor. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I think everybody should watch that and check it out. And also, in closing... We have a little segment I like to close out with called Hot Tips, Hot Tips, Hot Tips. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, that's a, uh, it sound, that sounded a little bit too much like a dog. So I'm sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> I wanted it to sound like a really cool air horn, but I don't know how to beatbox. I guess I'm too white for that. Bow, bow. Uh, hot Tip, I would like to know if Erica Wusu has a bad day, if you, uh, I don't know. I mean, if you turn in a script and they tell you it sucks or you bomb at a comedy show or if, uh, you know, someone is is a complete racist dick, I guess, to go with the theme of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you have these bad things happen to you and you come home, is there some sort of like food item, piece of music, a weird outfit you like to put on, uh, anything that cheers you up and changes your mood? Yeah, well, I was going to say put on some of my favorite stand-up, but, you know, the weird thing I like to do is put on my Black Spider-Man Halloween costume and kind of strut around in that. That makes me feel good. Ooh, <laughs> yes. That's right, because you, um, you're you in Black Spider-Man, and uh, I'm going to put that in the show notes because that's a great great thing for people to watch. It's really funny. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, my so now I guess my second favorite thing to do uh, when I have a bad day is, is watch... So, some stand-up. What stand-up special specifically do you, like, what's your favorite right now? Uh, I have 
uh, I have some go-tos. Some, you know, Chappelle's my favorite, so a bunch of his. Uh, I love Wanda Sykes. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson has a really good special out on Netflix right now. Mark Normand has a really good one uh, on Comedy Central and YouTube. Um, but an example of me having a bad day and me fixing it with watching stand-up, uh, on my first day of my last semester of college, so my like last first day of school ever, uh, I was stopped and frisked on campus. Uh, apparently someone stole an iPhone on the other side of campus and the police like pulled up and got out of their cars and were like, hey, you fit a description. Uh, did you steal an iPhone? Can we search you? And at the time I had an Android, so I was like, there's no iPhone on me. This will be quick, like whatever. Uh, but like they had me put my hands on my head and they went through my pockets and my jacket and my pants. They threw my book bag on the hood of the cop car and searched that and had me there for like five, 10 minutes. And, and you know, people are walking past. It's really embarrassing. It, it's scary because I know what run-ins with the police can turn into. Uh, and then they like, it, they didn't find a phone and they sent me on my way. And I was really, really, really upset. Uh, so I drove home and I pulled up Paul Mooney's Jesus was black stand-up special. Uh, Paul Mooney's a great black stand-up. He was in Chappelle show and he used to write for Richard Pryor, a bunch of stuff. And, uh, and that special made me feel good. Um, and a, a lot of it was Paul Mooney talking about white supremacy and talking about the dumb shit white people do. Um, and, and so that really calmed me down and, and made me laugh and, and really help alleviate my anxiety about it. Uh, and it also helped inform my stand-up today because like his stand-up made me feel good. It made a bad day good. So it showed me that when I do stand-up and when I do it well and am looking to have fun with the audience, I get to give audience members laughter. It's not I'm making people laugh, I'm giving people laughter. And, and people come out to shows and they really appreciate it, especially if they're having a bad day or week. So uh, it really helped inform the way I do stand-up because I, I know what stand-up has been able to do for me, so I try to do that for other people. That's so beautiful. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> like not not in a sad way. I just I have a very similar philosophy. It's like if you if, if you are talented and you are in the arts, you have to think of it as a gift. You have to think like what how am I giving something to the world instead of going up there and worrying that people don't like you or worrying about trying to make them laugh. You think, "Okay, this is a gift I'm giving to people. What a what a joy that I get to make them laugh and get to make their day better." So uh, hopefully I made your day better today. I don't know. Hopefully the people who are listening to this, their day is a little bit better. We were able to make them laugh about some real dark shit. <laughs> yeah, my day's super sunny now. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, we will we will revisit this conversation. You know, hopefully not tomorrow because <laughs> <laughs> this one will be recorded. Let's pray to the internet gods. But uh, I, I look forward to having you back on the podcast and uh, maybe sometime in the near future when I can have you in person in the studio. We can just, just crack a beer at the end, you know? Yeah, and then hopefully by then I will have started therapy. So I'll let you know how my therapy journey is going. Ooh, yes, that is something I really want to check in on. Oh, you, you're, you're in trouble now. Yeah, pencil me I'm, in. I, <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I know that these issues can be really hard and awkward and uncomfortable to address. And so I'm just learning every single day how to be a better ally. And I feel like, you know, this movement is not a trend. It's not just a hashtag. It means that 
we all have to just take small actions every single day until we can all be equal. And something that we didn't focus on the on the episode that I wanted to just say to all of you is that you can still have hope. You can still be happy because this movement isn't just about anti-racism. It's also about us learning to love one another despite everything that's going on. I think seeing people at a protest handing out hand sanitizer and food and water and being there for each other and lifting up each other's voices. When I saw all of that, I was able to see that this movement is really about love and it's about showing love to everyone, regardless of what their skin color is. So I hope that maybe you can take that with you as a message of hope in these times and not just only focus on the negative, because if we're going to move forward and we're going to progress, we have to have positive actions we can take, right? Uh, Not just negative ones, not just don't say this, don't say that, but also what should you be saying? How can you be a positive ally. Like, you know, like Eric was saying, Venmoing your your Black friend uh, something for a hobby that they like to do. Or just talk to them about other things besides just calling to check on them to ask them how they're thinking about all of these issues. So yeah, that's my piece. And I hope that you will find it in your heart to take action on these things and donate to the NAACP, the ACLU, get involved. Or if you can't donate, then at least, you know, talk to your friends about it. Don't just sweep it under the rug. And, you know, honestly, also from a mental health standpoint, I can understand if you feel overwhelmed by all of this, because I certainly did. And it is totally fine to just take a break from social media for a few days, you know, recharge your batteries, and then you can come back and join the fight whenever you're feeling up to it again. And to any of my Black listeners out there, I see you, I support you, I hear you, and uh, I will do everything that I can to make you feel seen. So uh, all of the details as usual are in the description, but you can check out our episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com and that will have a list of all the fun stuff we talked about as well as mental health resources specifically for Black people uh, and for everyone else during these times. So uh, you can tweet us or Instagram us at cryingbehindpod or I am at Katie Doll, K-A-T-Y-D-O-L-L-E. So yeah, I've been your host, Katie Doll, and I'll continue to be that person for a while. Please subscribe, review, rate, or share this with a friend who might enjoy it or don't live your life. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Next time you're sad, please just throw on your sunglasses, take a walk outside, and remember, stay cool, stay fun, stay sunny. Here, here.